Welcome to Much More Much Year with Pup Duffy and Kara Lane, an Aunt Imagination production. Hey guys, I am here with writer-director Eric Swellstead and actor Nick Baldessare. We're here to talk about Heartland of Darkness, and this is kind of a fascinating thing to me because, uh, Eric, let me start with you, because this was filmed in, what, 92? 89. Oh, 89. Okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with 89. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good year. It was a good year. Yeah. I, I say it all the time. The 80s were a great time to be alive. But Amen. it was 1989 and kind of never saw the light of day. That's kind of right. devastating. This was, this was a master's thesis when I was getting my degree at Ohio State. And um, yeah, we, we did it in the summer. We started in the spring went through the summer into the fall of 1989. And uh, yeah, and that's been 33, almost 33 years ago. So it's been a while. Wow. And this was filmed on uh, 16 millimeter for the young kids listening at home. Yes, there used to be a time when you put actual film in cameras, you might have to Google it to find out what it And so what I found also kind of fascinating about this is Heartland of Darkness, it stars Nick, obviously. Um, it also has Linnea Quigley. Um, and the, the the plot, the synopsis of it is this single father moves with his teenage daughter to a smaller town and surprise, Satanist, right? But this was filmed kind of smack dab in the middle of that satanic panic at the time, right? Yeah, the, the, uh, uh, all of us in the Midwest were, were, were experiencing the satanic panic. I mean, they were literally finding satanic cults, the police said, you know, in small towns and big towns and universities. I mean, it was quite the big deal. And you had Christian groups going in to try to find, you know, who was the ringleaders and, you know, all this stuff. And it was, it started like in the mid eighties and kind of went into the early nineties. And I mean, there were a whole bunch of cases uh, of, you know, satanic rituals and people that were sacrificing. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. It was a crazy time. So we did the film uh, kind of in the middle of that time and, you know, kind of capitalizing on what was going on in the media and the news and such. And um, yeah, it was like, it was a really great time to come up with a really cool idea. Uh, and so I needed the master's project and, wrote this and found an excellent actor with Nick and a few other actors. And we went out, we made this in the summer of 89. It was great. You're right. And there was like 12,000 claims of um, satanic and, and abuse, you know, due to the devil. And I can remember being, being very young and, and remembering going to church and they talk about if you play this record backwards, you know, right. if you play this record backwards, and I was just, and for the longest time, ACDC, the band was, you know, they were the devils yeah. and it was a real, it was a panic. I mean, yeah. it really was. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And, and, you know, there, there was, I mean, that continued into the nineties, you had the McMartin preschool. Uh, I'm in Los Angeles here and, and they had, they had whole, you know, scares and people were arrested. They were prosecuted went to, I mean, all this stuff over the belief that satanic cults had infiltrated our institutions, our government, our schooling, everything. And uh, there was a heightened sense of fear about this. And, 
uh, this continued on, like I said, into the into the early 90s. Uh, television shows were about this news. I, I mean, it was heightened. It was heightened stuff. So people were <laughs> they were uncovering satanic cults all over the place. And today, you know, we, we laugh at it. But back then it was really serious. Right. And you're and you're absolutely right. Not to get off like on a current events subject, but the media played a big, big part in that panic. And you can see that, you know, reflected in in events today as well. Absolutely. Well, and I really like the story because you, you often have the mom and the kid, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The the Norman Bates, you know, kind of thing, the mom and the son. And this was like, you switch it around. It's the dad and the daughter, which brings a little more uh, gravity to the fact I mean, it's been, it's been almost 33 years. I'm, I don't want to say spoiler alert, but spoiler alert, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she gets kidnapped and Nick to bring you into this plays uh, the Reverend. I'm blanking on his name, but you play the Reverend. And as we, you know, learned, speaking of the eighties, as we learned back in the day with uh, Stephen King's silver bullets, the Reverend is not necessarily a good guy. So Nick, tell me when you, are approached with this script that you're going to be this closeted Satanist. What goes through your mind? Okay. So uh, you've seen the film. Mm-hmm. Oh, so they supplied you with a copy. Oh, okay. Well, good. Oh, yeah. Cause I want to get you, I want to get your take on it eventually <laughs> uh, because you're one of the few people uh, on the planet who've seen this movie in its entirety. Uh, so that's 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 pretty cool, and I'm excited to uh, get people's take on it. Um, Eric and I were close friends. We had worked together <clears throat> on a movie called Beyond Dreams Door, okay. which we did the year before, right, Eric? Was that about a year yes. before this? Yes. Did you work on Road Meet, Eric? I did. I was an AD okay. on Road, Road as well. Mead was, yeah. the, was even before Beyond Dream Store. It was the first feature I did. And so, so Eric and I had a history. And uh, so when I saw the script, I, I saw what Eric had written. And I, up to that point, had never really had a chance to do something that, that, that was that uh, Shakespearean operatic, however you want to call it, this guy, he, he is, he's big. He, he's big in the sense that he's got a big ego. He's got a big personality. He's, he's in control. He wants to control this town. He wants to control its people. That's It's a big character. And, uh, my other work had been about, you know, okay, react to this. Okay, I'm reacting to that. React, react, react. This was more, I was the instigator. I was the one causing people to react. So as an actor, this was very exciting to me to be able to bring something like this to the screen. So when I saw the script, yeah, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Even though, admittedly, I had some people honestly. Well, one friend I'm thinking of in particular, he said, oh, don't do this. You know, this is, you know, this is crap. Well, look, you know, 
it's in the all that's in the eye of the beholder. I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. Is it exploitation? You bet. Mm-hmm. I was always a big horror exploitation guy. <laughs> Half of these movies back here behind me are horror exploitation movies. <laughs> I grew up with them. Uh, and just to be, to have the opportunity to be in something like this was, uh, to me, a golden opportunity that I just couldn't pass up. And I am grateful to Eric that he provided that opportunity. Nick's being a little bit um, uh, humble. Nick and I did uh, Shakespeare together in the park. Uh, we did Julius Caesar. I had a tiny little part, but he played uh, Cassius, which is a major, if not, it's really the biggest part of the play. And he played just an evil, wicked, determined, uh, you know, uh, Roman. And it was just rich. It was so great. So I'm watching him do this. And I'm like, God, I got to find a way to, to, to write a part for this guy. I mean, I'm a filmmaker and, and he's so damn good. So I created the part Donovan with Nick in mind. Absolutely. I wanted that evil look, that evil, uh, uh, you know, uh, personality to really come through after seeing him in the, in the play. And I wrote it just for him. And man, it was a lot of fun working with him too. I love that you said he was perfect for this evil role. <laughs> Absolutely. He just, he, you look at him now and he's so nice and mild manner, just a super nice guy, but in the film and, you know, when I saw him do shakes, I mean, he can like that, he can turn on uh, just a really wicked driven uh, character. And it's great. I mean, when you find an actor like that, you've, you've hit the gold mine. I mean, that, that's just, that's great. And, and I was so lucky to have met Nick and to get a chance to work with him on a really meaty part so it was it was easy to write a good part for Nick. He just a great villain you could do. And I think you I mean, aside from his talent, we're going to make him blush a little bit. But aside from his talent, good looking dude, you don't expect them to be the villain. Right. It's a nice little it's a nice little trickaroo. And, you know, it's a, he's a reverend. He's he's a man of God, but not the same God. You know, he's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's. He's a different guy, and and uh, yeah, Nick Nick just eats up the screen with that. He did fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Uh, role, yeah, roles like that are uh, they don't come along very often. Uh, but uh, any actor who doesn't take something like that would be a fool. Uh, as most actors know, uh, it's the evil parts. It's the bad guys. Those are the meaty parts. Those are the parts that are most fun to play. Um, previously in, in my film work, um, it was mostly good guys and, uh, you know, they're, 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 it's okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll, I, you know, I'm, I'm always pretty hungry for acting work and so would take whatever came along, but, uh, these kind of roles that have, uh, these kind of, this kind of dialogue and where you can just cut loose and be as evil as uh, as you want to be, you know, those are the, those come few and far between. So, I, yeah, like I said, I don't want to 
keep repeating myself, but yeah, it was very, I was very fortunate to have this opportunity. I feel a lot of time uh, the evil characters or the not perfect characters get away with more in the film, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You think about your, your, your movies. I mean, the villains almost always are the ones that stay with you. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when the film is over, you're like thinking about scenes and, you know, I mean, you know, start, you mentioned Psycho. I mean, really that that's Norman Bates. I mean, the movie, you know, you think about, you know, Janet Lee to be, but it's really Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about the movie Alien, it's the alien. It's not Sigourney Weaver's, you know, it, it's just movie after movie that has a really good, we used to call a heavy, a real mm-hmm. good villain. They're the ones you remember the most that really stand out. You're right. Like with Halloween, mm. everybody, Michael Myers, but what's his sister's name? You have to think about it for a minute. You're like, I know Jamie Lee plays her, but I couldn't. Susan, you know, yeah. but Michael Myers off the tip of your tongue, just like that. You're right. 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 Absolutely. Villains are just great. And as a filmmaker, they're wonderful to write because you can, you can make them really rich and interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I love telling this, that all villains think they're doing the right thing. You know, they, they don't they don't start out saying I'm going to do evil to them. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do what I think is best for my community, for my town, for my people, whatever. And Donovan's really no different. I mean, he's doing what he thinks is the best thing for his town, for his community and happens to be satanic cult. But, yeah, he's <laughs> he's doing what he thinks is right. And of course, you know, it ends to ends up uh, being what it ends up being. But. Yeah, most villains think they're doing the right thing. Right. Well, you're right. Well, and Reverend is looking after his flock. It's just not necessarily a heavenly flock. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's the key to playing a role like this. Is As an actor, you can't think uh, of the character as evil. You have to think, as Eric said, yeah, he thinks he's doing you know, the right thing or, or whatever. But it's uh, it's important not to judge a character that you have to kind of get in their head and, and understand their reasoning. Yeah. I mean, maybe not necessarily don't, don't take a walk in their shoes, <laughs> especially, yeah. if, you know, they're Satanists, but, and here's the other thing, it, it, not to get off on another tangent. If you've, if you've heard of me, you know, I get on tangents, but a lot of people that practice Satanism, would say that they're not bad people. Right. So it's all perspective, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, real, real life Satanists, and I interviewed some when I was preparing this film. I mean, it's not that they're, you know, worshiping Satan so much as they're all about nature and humans, and they don't like the the Bible, the Trinity. They they reject the Christianity but they, they, they believe in their own way of life being superior. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's not like they go, I'm going to be evil. No, it's not about that. It's about choosing an alternative way of looking at things, a way of looking at life and, and such. Right. And there's but the Donovan, Donovan certainly isn't that way. Donovan, <laughs> Donovan yeah. is all about power and control. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's not one of these nice... Satanist. I saw a documentary recently about Satanists. I wish I could remember the name of it. I think it was on Amazon. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it introduced you to a bunch of different people who profess this faith. And uh, 
they're all, you know, very seem like they're very nice, reasonable people, you know. And, and like you said, it's not like they're worshiping Satan as much as they're rejecting the societal norms and right. and and the Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. patriarchy and all that business. You know, they're just rejecting all that stuff. And and they call themselves Satanists, but Donovan's a whole other thing. This yeah. guy is yeah. uh, he's pretty he's pretty much pure. Yeah, yeah. evil, all about power and and uh, control. Well, yeah, and again, current events will will tell you that there's horrible people in places of godly power. You know. Oh my! Oh my, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could have a whole uh, podcast about that. Uh, but, you know, in a way, Hitchcock predicted this. A lot of the villains in Hitchcock movies, I'm a big fan of Hitchcock, and a lot of villains in his movies are, are, the, are the, the nicest people, you know. Like, um, like, look at something like Shadow of a Doubt that was made in the 40s. But most, you know, Joseph Cotton playing this uncle, this beloved uncle in this family, he was a serial killer, you know. Uh, and I think what Hitchcock was doing, he was such a brilliant man. He was not only was a good film director, but he was also pointing out that, you know, these people who are doing ill in our society, these are people, you know, they're dressed up in their suits and they're the head of businesses or the head nowadays, you know, the head of, you know, some evangelical church or something. And, uh, uh, they're, yeah. They're, they're not they're not out in the open. It's not so overt that you can't see it. But if you look behind the curtain, yeah, you can see <laughs> what's going on. And it's it's scary. Yeah, it's getting more and more apparent. It's it's coming out of the woodwork, so to speak. And you're you're absolutely right. A lot of things currently are being done in the name of God and God and whomever, you know, and whatever form they take is going that ain't me mm-hmm. i'm not approving this you know yeah it's yeah. just it's crazy yeah it's all and again it's all about power mm-hmm. people have figured out uh, power and control these people have figured out this is how we can control people you know it's through religion through their beliefs or superstitions or whatever you want to call it you know they can control people that way and get them to you know to, you know to vote essentially against their own interests, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because they they say you know okay God uh, you know deems it this way and this is you know this is how you how it should be, mm-hmm. but you know Christianity uh, these days has very little to do with what Christ actually taught. Very little to do with that. Poor, poor uh, Eric. Poor Eric is over there going, oh crap, what did I get into? No, but you're you're. <laughs> You're absolutely, <laughs> and you can you can relate it to Donovan because Donovan was using his position to influence and to control other people, and that and that's what a lot of is going on nowadays. I mean, yeah. thirty three years since this was made, and it's still current. You know, uh-huh. now, you said something about you know uh, exploitation, and and is it parts of it silly? Are they the best fight scenes I've ever seen? No, you know. <laughs> <laughs> are there some kind of lame moments? Absolutely. You got to understand people listening when this was made, 
half of the stuff that you see in, in horror films, much less, you know, regular films, are special effects, are mm-hmm. computerized. We're talking 1989. We, I don't, we didn't even have cell phones yet, right? No, no, <laughs> not yet. No, no, so, no. And, we, and we're also, we're dealing with a very, very low budget. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the actual budget on this, but believe me, there was there was not a whole lot of money. Uh, I'm surprised actually that it, given what we had, the resources that we had, that it actually came out as good as it it, it did. But that's that's what I love about exploitation. That's what I love about what I would call do-it-yourself uh, cinema. Mm. You know. These scrappy young people that get out there. Now, back in those days, they were few and far between because they were, we weren't shooting on cell phones. This, you know, scrappy young students getting out there doing 60 millimeter films. It's, it's, it's a miracle that it came out as well as it did, but it did. But I enjoy it, that sort of thing anyway. I'm not talking about this movie so much as other movies from that period that were made by young people mm-hmm. or people who just said, I want to go out and make a film. Yeah. Are there flaws, you know, are there things that go wrong, you know, but that's all part of it. That's all part of the whole milieu. That's all part of the, what's fun about it. it mm-hmm. You know, you know, th- these are films, you know, you are, they're not meant to take, be taken that seriously. Let's you know, just have some fun and see, you know, what these people came up with and, a lot of times, as I think it is with this movie, it's just it's just a hoot to watch watch this stuff. All right. Eric, how much of what you put down on the page comes across? Did did you get what you did you get what you wanted? Did you get an A on your thesis? I got an A on my thesis. My professor pat me on the back and say, "Excellent job." Although the film hadn't been finished yet, but he oh. said, "I know, I know what you're what you're going for." And yeah, I, I, almost everything I wrote on the page is in the film. I was thrilled with the outcome in terms of uh, the script, the story, and the feedback that I got. And everything Nick is saying is right. You know, exploitation. Yeah, I mean, I knew that going into this. I wasn't trying to, Nick's about to laugh. I wasn't trying to make out of Africa here. I was, you know, I wasn't trying to. (laughs) I wasn't, I, well, that was a line on the set. That line, that line, that line is over thirty years old. He said that very thing on set. I, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make high art. You know, I, I knew what I was doing, and I knew what we were trying to go for. And we also knew, like Robert Rodriguez, that there was a market out there for home video. In the late '80s, uh, home video had exploded, so we were like trying to get a video out there. Uh, you know, to get our film circulated. So we we had a very specific goal in mind. Um, and I was thrilled that so much of it from what I wrote actually made it into the film. So there's only like one or two scenes that didn't make it in. And they were really part of a big scene. We just cut out the ending of it. So most everything I did was in there, which is great. You're absolutely right. At that time, being an 80s baby, there there was a whole entire aisle at Blockbuster <laughs> of films like these. You know, behind the VCR, some of them behind that black curtain. And you've got the amazing Linnea Quigley. And I was uh, I was researching before I talked to you guys. And I just noticed she was in a film of a friend of mine's uh, that they did uh, Death Drop Porges. And I was like, oh, my God. So 30 years, 33 years ago, you make this, Eric. 
Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, that's it? Or do you, how long did you try to get it out before you kind of said, you know, I got to move on with my life? Yeah, that, that was, that's a great question. So I spent, uh, I moved out to Los Angeles with the film in 89 and it, figuring that I would find lots of people ready to put money in to finishing the film because we ran out of money and I figured I'd have no problem with that. And I hit nothing but a brick wall. I mean, you know, the film was shot on film. We back then we, we was brand new to transfer it to video and that was very expensive. So I figured, you know, if I can just get the finishing funds, then I can release the film myself. But oh man, it took, it took years of trying to get favors, trying to get uh, post-production work. And I became a college professor and I ended up getting some of my students, just like I did when I was at Ohio State getting my master's, I ended up getting some of my students to work on the post-production of this film. And one of my students did the accompanying uh, documentary, Deeper into the Dark, and now uh, working to make this happen. So there was a big gap there of years of trying to get the money to finish it and having me go through career stuff. And then finally, I was able to uh, to complete the film. And again, you know, working with people like Nick and Linnea, I mean, Linnea was great. She was beyond fantastic. And she came out to Ohio. She wasn't feeling all that well. And she came out. Uh, she did her, you know, a, a couple of days worth of work. I wrote a bunch of, bunch of parts and a bunch of scenes just for her. And she was a trooper. You know, she came out and she did everything great. And uh, all these years, people have talked about the unreleased Linnea Quigley film. This was it. And then finally, here in t- 2022, the film is coming out uh, with Linnea, which is, which is great. We're very happy about that. That's so funny that it, it became kind of this uh, cinematic urban legend. Yes. The yes. holy grail, the holy grail of exploitation uh, horror films. But I mean, that's kind of awesome. It's it really is. We, we've had this film sitting in literally in a shelf, in a closet for all these years, just waiting to come out. And I, I've had people over the years say to me, hey, when are you going to finish the Linnea film? When are you going to finish? Uh, and back then it was called Fallen Angels. And we mm-hmm. changed the name because there, there was a series called Fallen Angels with Tom Cruise. You know, there's all these other, other things out there. So we had to change the title. We had a brief distributor uh, interested in releasing it. And the film was called Blood Church for a little while. It was known as that kind of over the, over the, over the decades. And mm-hmm. then eventually, uh, last couple of years, we changed the title to Heartland of Darkness, which is what it's being released as. And I think it's a much better title. So, I just got that, Heartland. That's it. <laughs> that's it. You know what? That's why, that's why you're the, the writer and the director. And I'm not. But Visual Vengeance and Wild Eye has, they're doing this, this I don't know, this, this resurging, like they're generating a lot of interest in older we can say campier, you know, mm-hmm. types of films. Um, Moonchild, right? Uh, Revenge of the Chupacabras. Things that, like you said, you weren't trying to make high art. You weren't trying to make out of Africa. <laughs> but movies that people and a lot of certain groups of people were, were wanting that. It's kind of nostalgic, I guess. Mm-hmm. We're wanting mm-hmm. that simpler Paul's daughter couldn't call on, on her cell phone. Daddy, I've been kidding. Think about it. These, you know, older films from the, the late 80s, late 90s, even early twos. If you were lost in the woods, you were lost in the woods. So I think a lot of us 
are very happy that Visual Vengeance has done this and, and Wild Eye has done this, bringing attention to some of the older, cooler films. I think I think they're fantastic what what they're doing and uh, uh, the fact that this is almost a criterion level release uh, blue Nick and I away I mean all of the special features on this that's something you would get with a major criterion reissue of a film I mean we've got a documentary we've got three commentary tracks on this uh, we've got interviews from the 80s with Linnea we've got a whole bunch of stuff and I I dug this stuff out. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, and because they were asking me, do you have anything from back then? And I, I went into my closet and I looked at at old three quarter inch videotape, and I said, yeah, I've got an interview with Linnea in Columbus back in '89, and they're like, send us that. So they they took everything that we had, all of the supporting materials, and they put it onto this release. So I, I mean, this this is the definitive release of this film. There there has been no other release of the film until now. And everything I could possibly want is coming out in this edition. I mean, all the extra stuff that we would have done, uh, we did. And it came out in this. There are a lot of goodies that come with the DVD or with the Blu-ray. I mean, it, there's there's a poster. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of goodies. Um, people need to go and check it out. It's coming out November 22nd of this year. Where can people, where can people buy it? They can go to the website. Uh, and they can order it there. We've also have a website, heartlandofdarkness.com, and we put a link up there to where people can directly order it from Wild Eye and Visual Vengeance. And uh, yeah, and and you know, like I said, it's got the 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 first edition, the first release of it with a slipcase has all these extra goodies in there, including Nick and I were laughing about this, including a Bible, <laughs> which has spoiler alert has blank pages like a major plot point in the film uh-huh and it's got a bunch of other little features that are really cool uh that they threw in there too so if you get the first release of it it's got a lot of cool stuff i may be wrong but i know there's a company called diabolic dvd i think they may be the only ones that's carrying the edition that has that blank bible on it hmm. diabolic order, order site yeah i'm not sure yeah go to heartlandofdarkness.com and they can find right. stuff yeah, there's a link to to the binding but that's a good point nick i'm not sure if uh if that's the only one but yeah yeah there. that's the only place i saw it okay i just always ask because i feel like bezos has enough money so i don't always like to send people to amazon <laughs> right 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 Even yeah if check out diabolic dvd then and it's diabolic with a it ends with a k oh. instead of a c well well that's diabolical Ah. Yeah, D I A B O L I K D B D. Perfect. Well, yeah. since it's over and we're coming on to Halloween, I want to ask you each what, Nick, what is your favorite urban legend? Well, you know, when I was growing, growing up, um, I think these are all specific to wherever you grew up, urban legends. That's why they call them urban legends, I guess, because I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I, grew, I grew up near a cemetery, and we used to play in that cemetery as kids. We used to play army and cowboys and Indians and things like that. And, but there, were, there was an urban legend about uh, a headless driver driving oh. it, uh, around there at night. 
uh, as a child, I heard all kinds of stories like that. Stories related to my family. Uh, you know, I, you know, it's too many to go into now, but things that would just keep me up at night thinking about, because, you know, these weren't movies, these weren't some make-believe thing. These were stories that people who I knew and trusted told me about. And so I would lay in, in bed at night going, oh man, this, this, really, this really happened, I guess. They, I mean, these people are telling me this happened. There was a headless driver at the cemetery. I guess it's true. So yeah, stories around that cemetery, people being buried alive, you know. Of course. Hearing, of course. hearing screams at night, digging in, digging up the grave and there's the person dead, but all their hair's pulled out, you know, because they were buried alive, that kind of stuff. Before I ask Eric, I want to, I want to agree with you. Your family will look you in the eye and tell you the most false, horrible story you've ever heard because my uncle did it to me. And in my grandparents' hometown, they had an above ground cemetery And my uncle, who I loved and adored and looked up to and believed, said that don't go down that road because they like to open their, you know, their cement or whatever it was, caskets and come out and say hello. And I believed them for a long time. (laughs) So family family will look you in the eye and lie to you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they tell you, they told you about Santa Claus, right? (laughs) Yeah. Very. Oh, God. Eric, what's your favorite urban legend? So I think everybody has this. Um, I moved in. I lived in four different towns growing up. My dad was I was an oil brat. My dad moved all over the Midwest. And every town I lived in, there was always this decrepit old house. Right. And every you know, it's just one of these places where the people long ago moved out and nobody bothered to tear the house down. So it was there always on a corner and just kind of creepy. So every Halloween, of course, we'd walk by that house. Hey, ooh, you dare you to go up there and knock on the door. And nobody would, none of the kids would do that because, oh my God, there was somebody that lived there. So, uh, you know, there was a bunch of those. There was one particular one uh, when I lived, um, you know, when I was in Columbus, where I, where I spent my, uh, my, my high school years. And uh, this particular one, this is true, by the way, this particular one had a statue in the backyard of a devil pig. Nice. Somebody had left a devil pig statue in the backyard. So on a dare, a bunch of us high school guys went back there, took the devil pig out of the backyard and went to the high school and put it on top of the roof. And (laughs) and then the next day was school or whatever. And there's a great shot in the school paper of the principal pointing up at the devil (laughs) pig. (laughs) So it was... It was a triumph for those of uh, those of us that were jerks that we got to do that. But uh, we put the urban legend to rest by saying, hey, we brought this to the high school. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> OK, but but you just you just uh, invoked the devil pig's wrath. I know. <laughs> I mean, I know. Went of the devil pig. That's what or, happened. <laughs> or we heightened it. We gave them we gave them exposure. You know, we took them out of the backyard and put them on top of the school. Somewhere in the Midwest, there's a very, very, very small cult of worshipers. <laughs> Around that devil statue. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's amazing. Well, you guys, thank you so much. I'm so excited for this to come out and for people to see it. It's, yeah. it's, it's a good time. 
It's horrible, but it's a good time. <laughs> it is. We're just we're just thankful the film finally is out there. Yeah, it's the thing Nick and I were talking about all the time is, you know, this is great. It's it's a great release, a lot of special features. Uh, we couldn't have asked for a better company, a better release. And mm -hmm. we're just very excited that people can finally, 33 years later, get a chance to see this little film that we did in Ohio. And, and, and it's great. And we love talking to you, Pop. That's been, thank you for promoting the film. Thank you for shining some light on our little film. And uh, we appreciate that very much. Oh, well, it's my honest, honestly, it's my pleasure. I would like to uh, add to that. I, I would like to thank a few people. Uh, first of all, thanks for being such a good interviewer. Oh. And uh, yeah, and thanks to uh, Visual Vengeance for finally releasing this. Uh, there's a whole progression of people who are responsible for all of this happening. Going back to a guy named Bill Bragg, who directed a film, my, the first feature film I did called Road Meat, mm -hmm. which uh, Eric worked on and a bunch of my other friends worked on. And that is, I think him d doing that feature film in Columbus, Ohio, inspired people like Jay Wolfel, who directed Beyond Dream's Door. And he deserves a lot of credit and a lot of thanks for this happening. Because Jay was the first one with the idea of doing a feature film out of Ohio State University. That inspired Eric uh, to, uh, to make this film. And uh, also, uh, Linnea. Uh, I don't think we would be sitting here talking right now if, if Linnea Quigley hadn't agreed to be in this film. And she's terrific in it. And lastly, the late Stephen Williams, who was the producer, producer on this film, he, I, I believe it was his idea to bring Linnea on board on this film. It was. So that he deserves a lot of thanks, even though he's no longer with us. He deserves credit because, like I said, I don't think we'd be here it wasn't for the fact that this is Linnea Quigley's long lost film. Well said, well said. I think that's the perfect note to end on you guys. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to other people getting to see this because I was blessed to see it. I can't me wait too. for eyes to be on it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoys it. Uh, we certainly had a blast making it. Yeah. It's apparent. It's very yeah. apparent. I love that you guys have kind of, you know, uh, Bruce Campbell, Sam Raimi friendship that's Absolutely. lasted a long time to be. Yeah. It's a love. Know. It's a love. Oh. And when Eric was saying, was talking about people saying, hey, when, when, when is that Linnea film going to be finished? When is that Linnea? That was me. That was me. <laughs> Every time I saw Eric, Eric, <laughs> when is this film going to be finished? And here we are. There's the truth come out. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. You guys have a wonderful night. Eric, thank you so much. Thanks, Pup. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nick, too. Thank you. That's right. Thank you, uh, Eric, thanks, Pup. Nick, you need, you need to come back on and we're going to talk about religion in America. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it anytime. All righty. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye, Eric. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome.